welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. For those that don't know me, my name is, is Pastor Ross, and I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. And um, what I love about what we just experienced is a beautiful freedom to make mistakes and, and, and fail and so forth, because it's not about the show. It's not about the performance, right? It's, it's about a heart. And uh, whenever, whenever I, I hear a bit of a stumble, I always think, oh, this is going to be good now. <laughs> And, uh, and it was, and, uh, it also gives me hope when I stumble up here. So, uh, but I'm, I'm liking this music stand. We should, I should mark it, but, um, well, we're going to take a, a bit of a break from our, our regular study through second Corinthians. And we're going to kind of take advantage of the opportunity that we have. We're going to be, um, uh, praying over and installing a couple of people who are joining the board of, uh, of deacons. Um, but I thought, especially because there's some new people here or some people who've joined us in the last little while, we would, we would explain a little bit more about some of the structure, uh, about how we're, we're ordered as a church here. And, uh, and like you've probably experienced this morning, uh, but also if you've been here a little bit, we we do things a little bit different here. Um, and that's, uh, that's on purpose. That's on purpose. So the, the heart of what we are about, the heart of really what we're after is we're after about teaching the new covenant. We're after, after sharing with people all that Jesus has done, the glory of Jesus Christ and what he's done both for us, dying on that cross, what he's done to us, including us in that death in order that we can be given a new heart, a righteous, pure heart, and what he's now doing through us as Jesus Christ lives inside of us. That's the new covenant. And week after week, that's what we're trying to convey and to teach. But the point of that isn't just to just be information. It's not just for more knowledge. The point of teaching that is so that we then go live it out, that we go practice that faith, the glory of the new covenant, and we experience that within a community of grace a community of people, of believers that are there to support one another and encourage one another and, and experience this life of grace, but also to remind one another about the new covenant, remind one another about what Jesus has done so that we not, we're not falling back into that shame. We're not listening to that old enemy as it tries to control us. And, and I think that's important to understand is but that the, the significance and the, and the critical aspect of having a community of grace, that, that you cannot... Uh, experience God to in his fullness on your own. Because when you try to do it on your own without a community, then God is as big as your own little mind, which for some of you is smaller than others, right? And I'm not saying who, it's just the fact, right? Some's got smaller minds. So, so the reality is we need, we need the community of grace so we can experience Jesus through one another. And that's what's beautiful. I get to experience Christ and Jim and Christ and Anna and Christ and Michael. And, and I get to see Jesus in a way I didn't quite know him before. And so my God becomes bigger, bigger than I could ever imagine. <clears throat> and so that's what we need. We need that community of grace. 
Now, in terms of how a church is ordered, how it's structured, there's, there's many different models in which we could have chosen from when we started New Life. And, and the, the three main ones, I would say, are, are one is the Presbyterian model. And, and that's, that's basically where it's run by a central denomination. It's run by a central leadership, this, this Presbyterian model. You, you'd see it in the, in the Catholic church, for example. You'd see it in Anglican churches. And surprisingly, you'd see it in Presbyterian churches. I was shocked to find that one out. Uh, that's one model. The other model is the congregational model. And the congregational model is basically it's run by the members of the church. So the local church, they're acting like shareholders of, of the church of a corporation, and they're the ones that lead it. And, and as a general rule of thumb, if you're not sure, is it a, is it a Presbyterian model or is it a, a congregational model? You kind of can ask the question, who owns the building? Right? Whoever owns the building, that will tell you. If it's owned by a denomination, it's going to be a Presbyterian model. If it's owned by the local church, by the community, then it's going to be a congregational model, generally speaking. The third option is what's called the elder-led model, where, it's, where the church, the local church, is led by a, a group of elders. Now, each of these models have pros and cons. They have, they have different advantages and disadvantages. They protect against some things, but then they are vulnerable in other areas. So, for example, in that Presbyterian model, being run by, uh, by a central place, by the denomination, if something happens in that local church, maybe, maybe in the elders or in the pastor or, or the church itself, where they go rogue. They start, they start preaching a different gospel, right? They start singing country music on Sunday mornings, for example. Then you have, thankfully, you have, you have some authority that can step in and say no. And they'll remove the leadership, remove Johnny Cash from the pay playlist, and get back to the gospel, right? So that's the advantage of the Presbyterian model. The problem with that, however, is it's all centrally run, and each church is a little bit different. Each church is a little bit unique because each of the people in the church are a little bit unique. Can I get an amen? <laughs> We're all a little bit unique, right? And, and so, so the problem is then when, when it's all run by one, one head office, they try to create a bit of a cookie cutter or a bit of a one size fits all solution. And that's where it starts to break down because rural churches are different than urban churches, which are different than suburban churches. And then churches in, in northern Ontario and rural areas are different than southern Ontario rural areas. And so it's not as simple as that. And so you, you need that diversity. I think we saw that uh, in, the, in the lockdowns that we went through with COVID and how we tried, the governments would try centrally a one size fits all, that what was happening up in Sudbury was what was happening in Windsor and what was happening in Ottawa and so forth. And it never works as that one size fits all. It's too broad of a spectrum. So when you have the congregational-led model, now you can really tailor it. You can actually tailor it to what does this local group of people need? What does this local church need? And so it's now led by the congregation. It's led by the people. And so that's good because it's, it's, it's local, but the problem is it's now running on democracy. Now, I, I think it was Churchill that said that democracy is a horrible system. It's just the best one we have out there. And, and it is because if you think about democracy, it's led by the mob. And, and I remember hearing a psychological test. They, they discovered that when a mob gets together, the IQ of the mob drops by one third. Explains Leaf fans, I think. Right? <laughs> I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Right? So, so we get this mob mentality. And, and so that's the problem with democracy is the mob rules. And, and just because the majority of people think it doesn't make it right. Think about when Israel was crossing the Jordan, crossing the, the wilderness, sorry. They come to the Jordan River at the beginning. Two people, Joshua and Caleb, said, let's go. God's given us the land. Let's take it. 
And 2.5 million people said no. I mean, democracy spoke. Democracy, it was almost unanimous. Two people were right. 2.5 million people were wrong. And so just because democracy is there doesn't mean that you're going to have the right choice in that sense. But what it does is, again, it, it, the advantage of that is it can tailor it to, to the local assembly. Then you have the elder-led churches. Again, you have the benefit of tailoring it to the local assembly. You have the, the benefit that it's being led not by a majority of people, but hopefully being led by spirit-led people, spirit-led elders. And that's, that's kind of what you want there. The, the problem with that, though, is, again, if these elders ever go rogue, then you're in trouble. And, and that every, every situation is going to have a downfall. At some point, you're going to have to trust leaders that are humans, that are people. And that's where it can start to fall, fall apart. Um, so which model of these did, did New Life adopt? Well, I want to start off by saying I don't think any one of those options is unbiblical. Meaning that, that if, if, if you want to be a part of a church that is uh, Presbyterian in nature or in um, a congregational or elder-led, I, I don't know if I'd say, well, that is unbiblical and therefore it's not part of the church. It doesn't work that way. Um, I, a friend of mine likes to use a joke when he, when he gets into these debatable things. He says, I, I wouldn't build a church on that. And it just seems an odd joke to make in this point. But um, anyways, uh, we, we had to choose one. And, and to explain which one we chose, what we did is we kind of try to understand it from the beginning. And, and what did that, not just the early church, but what did the first church look like? So if you got your Bibles with you, let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin verse 41. And so this is right after... Um, after Pentecost, right? So, so the early church is born in Acts chapter two, when the, when the disciples are waiting for uh, the Holy Spirit to come there in the upper room, the Holy Spirit descends and, and Peter is, is suddenly on fire. He's not literally, but tongues of fire. And he begins to preach the very first sermon. And, and it's an incredible message. And, and what we're going to see is thousands of people end, end up being saved. And that's when the church is born. So begin verse one. So then those who have received his word were baptized. And that day they were added about 3000 souls and they continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's really, I think the mission statement of the church that we've tried to follow that we devoted ourselves to the apostles teaching. It's, it's here. This is why we have the scriptures. It's why we, we go verse by verse through the new Testament mainly is to understand what was the apostles teaching. We don't dismiss the old Testament because the old Testament is pointing to the new covenant. And so we can still study it and especially the lives of the people in the old Testament, but to understand our relationship with God, we understand what the apostles were teaching. And that's what we have here. And so they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, that community, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, to worship. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as they might have need. So they're looking out for each other. They're caring for one another. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all, with all the people. And the Lord was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved. 
And so what we're seeing here is that the, the, the church starts here and it's got immediately 3,000 people. I mean, that's in a massive growth. It went from 11, because that's what it was, remember, 11 people in the uh, waiting. I guess at 12, because I think Matthias at this point was already added. And then it explodes now to over 3,000 souls. And they're looking out for one another. They're caring for one another. But you can imagine the logistical nightmare that begins to take place. Some of the problems start to take place. And that's what we're going to see. It's, it's only a few chapters later in Acts chapter 6 where we're starting to see that these, the church being led by the, the disciples now turned apostles are being overrun. And people are coming to them and they're having these complaints. How some people are being cared for better than others. That the, the, the Jewish widows are being uh, looked after and cared for with a priority and the Greek widows not so much. And that was a big deal because as a widow, you really had no other support for yourself, especially if your family didn't uh, look after you, which often would be the case if you converted to Christianity to follow Jesus, but your family didn't. And so they would outcast you. And so the church was looking after one another and caring for one another. And so in Acts chapter six, beginning in verse one, <clears throat> we can start to see some of the problems. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Those are the Greek Jews um, against the native Hebrews. And so this idea that, that we're, the, we're the real Jews, we're the real, uh, the Hebrews, we're the real believers and, and the Greeks. And so there's always this issue in the early church between the, the, the Jews and the Greeks because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the 12 summoned the congregation of disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. That what we want to do is we want to minister. We want to, we want to get out there. We want to share the gospel with people. We want to disciple people. We want to help them grow and learn. But now we're kind of getting dragged down into the serving of tables. We're getting into the, the muck of the administration the day-to-day. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so what we see here is the birth of the role called the deacon. Right? The, the word deacon is from the, the Greek word diakonos. And it literally means servant. That's what they were. They were the servants. They were coming to serve and look after the, the church at large. They look after the various people and so forth. And it's similar to what happened with Moses. <clears throat> you remember in Moses chapter 18, his, his father-in-law Jethro comes along. And he says, Moses, you're trying to look after 2.5 million people on your own. You can't do it. It's like trying to look after Toronto proper all by yourself. You can't do it. So appoint some others, appoint some judges that they will be able to look after you and help you. So you're not trying to do it all on your own. And that's what these disciples or apostles now are trying to do is they couldn't look after all those details. Things are falling to the cracks. So they said to the congregation, appoint some people, appoint seven people. And they did. And they chose these, these seven men to begin to, to serve them, to look after them. And, and it's, a, it's a great reminder here of how the term that they've given them, this deacon, this diakonos, this servant, because that's what leadership is. Leadership is about serving. See, the, the problem we get into is when leaders see themselves at the top, when leaders see that everyone there below them is to lift them up. And that's when you get into all kinds of trouble where the point of the leader is to serve others. And whether it's in the Presbyterian model or the congregational model or the elder-led model, that's when the mistake happens. 
when, when the guy at top, the Pope, the Bishop, the, the chief elder, the lead pastor, when they think they're the ones that are the big deal. But think about Jesus on the night of his arrest. He washed the disciples' feet. He humbled himself to look after them and says, follow my model. And I think the apostles understood that, that their role was to serve. Their role was to give their life to others. And that's what these deacons were. They were underneath in order to lift up others. And, and so that's what we want to see. And so these deacons now are going to be responsible for the administration needs of the church, the distribution of funds and, and looking after people. Remember, others were coming and saying, we've sold some things. We didn't need them. We want to give you the money to the church so you can look after that. Well, there's a lot of money now that needs to go out. And the apostle says, we don't want to look after that. We're not, we're not going to get all caught up in that. Instead, what we want to do is we want to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Acts chapter six, verse four. It's really important. And so now looking after the, the, the widows who, who's got no one else to look after them or, or helping someone who, who needs a bit of help because their finances are in a bit of a struggle or, or something happened. Maybe suddenly some of their cows died or, or, or some other issue came along. The church was there to support them through these deacons. They were going to help them in that sense. And so the Apostle Paul, he's given to us now a list of qualifications so that we understand what are we looking for in a deacon. And so if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 3. Beginning in verse eight. So he's already talked about the role of elders in the, in the first part of chapter three. Now beginning in verse eight, he says deacons. So he's, he's talked about elders transition out of deacons. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double tongued, right? So people of integrity, not just saying one thing here and then another thing over there or addicted to much wine. So it doesn't say they can't drink, but it's not addicted to it. And that would nowadays I would extend that wine to, to any kind of soft drugs as well. So not addicted, not controlled, not mastered by, by drugs and alcohol. Uh, or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. I love how the King James puts it here. They're not, they're not greedy, not chasing after filthy lucre. What a great picture that is, right? That's filthy lucre is money. And so they're not controlled by money. Because you would understand someone in this role who's got all of a sudden all this money, what could they do with it? A little bit of embezzlement, a little bit of fraud, a little skimming off the top and look after themselves. And so the people you have in charge of money, you want to make sure they aren't going to abuse it, that they're not in it to chase after money. <clears throat> um, verse, verse nine, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons that they are beyond reproach. You wouldn't let someone just walk in the door and say, hey, here you go. Here's a checkbook. Here's a bank account. Bank card's all yours. Find out. Get to know them. Take your time because the reality is more will be revealed. And you'll start to see what is it that really drives their heart. Is it people? Is it money? Is it they're caring for people or are they more worried about the show and the performance? That's what you're wanting to find out. How mature are these people? Uh, verse 11, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. What we see here in this passage is that deacons are not limited to men. That, that there are female deacons, deaconesses, and deacons, male deacons, and they're one and the same, and, and, and they have the same responsibility. 
And so women can serve as deacons as well as men. And because he jumps right back in and deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and of their households. And so the idea is that, that if they can't look after their own home, if their own home is a mess, how are they going to look after the church of God? Now, what ends up happening is we look at that passage and we think, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm falling short in some areas. I, I don't have a perfect house. Well, good, no one does. It's not about having a, a perfect house per se. That's not really what the, the goal is. But what happens when there's trouble? What happens when there's struggles? See, th this, that idea that I'm supposed to manage my household well has damaged a lot of PKs. You know what PK is? Pastor's kids. Preacher's kids. Pastor's kids, right? Or MKs. Missionary kids. Because what ends up happening is the parents feel this pressure. My kids got to perform. Otherwise, I'm out of a job. And so what do they do? What do they bring down on their kids to get them to perform? The law. The law is a ministry of death and condemnation. It excites sin. It excites rebellion. And so what do they do? They clamp up the law and they turn it up more and more and more. And all these PKs and MKs end up leaving the church bitter and angry. And what you're seeing, what you're learning is that person, not because of how their kids behaved, but how they responded with the law, says they're not fit because they're not applying grace. And if they're not going to apply grace to their own kids, then how would they apply grace to the church? How do they apply grace to you? And so that's what you're wanting to see. Not are the kids well behaved because you can't control that. Amen? Amen. What happens with that child is between them and God. All you can do as parents is offer to them and invite them to experience God's grace. But whether they do or not is entirely up to them and God. But what you're looking for is that response. And so that's, that's what we're looking for here. And then finally in verse 13, um, for those who served well as deacons obtained for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That's the role of the deacon. That was what it was 2,000 years ago, right? In the, not just the early church, but the first church. Well, now fast forward 2,000 years uh, across multiple continents, uh, across multiple uh, uh, cultures and add some indoor plumbing in there and you come to us today. So well, what does that mean? Well, first and foremost, overall, the heart and purpose of the church has not changed and it never will. And, and, and that's because people have not changed. And because people have not evolved, because people have not changed, then the church doesn't need to change. You see, today we may be taller, you know, we may have straighter teeth and, and some nicer hair and so forth, and nicer clothes than others 2,000 years ago, but the reality is our hearts are the same. We're wired the same. The same needs that they had 2,000 years ago, we have today. The same problems they had 2,000 years ago, we have today. We even saw that last week when we were going to 2 Corinthians and we saw how the devil, the serpent, is trying to deceive us and 2,000 years ago, the early church, the same way it deceived Eve thousands of years ago. Because humanity has not changed in the thousands of years since we was created. And so we never need to make Jesus relevant. We never need to make the Bible relevant. It always is and always has been. What we simply need to do is teach and convey and allow people now the opportunity to, to accept or reject. But the moment we start to try to change things in order to be more appealing to the world, we become irrelevant. We have nothing to offer anymore. 
Because they're going to look at us and say, great, you're like one of us. Why do I need you now? And you know what? They're right. Because we have nothing to offer anymore. We've, we've taken Jesus out of the equation. And so we don't need to change. We don't need to evolve. And yet there will be a unique expression through us that is different than the early church, whether it be in Ephesus or in Corinth or Colossae or Philippi and so forth. Think about it. <clears throat> right now, there's, there's the church in China. And, and aside from the state-controlled church, where the government gets to control what the pastor says every week, most churches are underground. So they're not controlled by the state. They're able to teach Jesus unfiltered. That's underground. That's going to look very different than churches here in North America. Because here in North America, right around 300 AD and across Europe and now here in North America, the, the church has been sort of welcomed within the culture. In fact, it became a dominant to some, you argue, and I would even agree to some degree, a negative impact on the culture because it became all about control. And people saw the church as a way to gain power rather than the purpose of it to serve. But since 300 AD, the church has had a, a welcome part. It's part of our heritage. It's why government holidays are around Christmas and Easter. What other purpose do we have there? It's because of our Christian heritage. Now, please understand, Canada never was and never will be a Christian nation. Never will be, never, will, never was. It's not the point. Because the goal isn't to create a nation state of Christianity. The goal is to enlarge God's kingdom, which is the church, the bride of Christ. And we don't need political power and so forth. That's not what we're chasing. But because of the influence we've had and because we were, we were part of the culture, Western governments then were, were bent towards the church. And so what they did is they allowed for nonprofit corporations, nonprofit groups to form that churches would be under. Because churches played a huge role in the humanitarian aspects of looking after people. In fact, go back, the, church, the, the government really didn't do any of that. The government had a very narrow uh, mission statement, and, and they were looking after the rules, the law, the borders, and so forth, the military protection, and the church was looking after humanitarian needs. They were making sure people were fed. That's why so many of our hospitals are, are named after a church or are named after a saint because of the idea that that's what started it. The church was able to go out into the world and show the love of Jesus through humanitarian needs. And so the governments recognized that and they encouraged people to give, but they wanted to make sure that these, this giving was on board, was legit. They want to make sure that people weren't committing fraud. They want to make sure that people weren't raising mon money for terror. They want to make sure that everything was legit. And so they, they wanted some way to verify that. And so you would have these nonprofit entities, these corporations, which needed shareholders and needed board members. And so that's what we see today. And, and, and so many organizations, many churches are formed in that such way. Here at New Life, that's what we have. We are a corporation called New Life Fellowship Kitchener. That is the corporation, and there are shareholders of that, which are the elders. And then we have a board as well, as we're going to get into. Now, the question is, as churches form this, well, who serves on the board? Who, who is, who's going to be there? And, and kind of like, remember we said, is it who controls the church? We'll tell you if it's Presbyterian or if it's congregational. Well, they've said whoever controls the money in the church ultimately controls the church. That's... Probably not right, but it's reality. 
And so what happens then is often, since elders are to be that, whether even if it's, if it's Presbyterian or whether it's congregational or elder-led, the elders are to lead that church. And so what happens is the elder became the board. So whoever is serving on the elders also became the board. One and the same makes sense. Off we go. But here's our problem now. The people serving on the board are the elders. They end up doing the work of deacons. They're looking after budgets. They're making sure the humanitarian aid is, is being distributed properly and making sure the mission fund is there and making sure the bills are being paid. And they're worried about the staff and they're worried about all those things because that's necessary and it's important and it's urgent and it's easy to see. And so boards go down that road and they do all that. And then the elder job is kind of left vacant. Not entirely. They kind of just said, well, you as a pastor, you do all that. And we're going to do all this over here. And so you have elders doing board work, deacon work, and no one or very few people doing elder work. In fact, as it's gone on, more and more pastors have taken on the role of CEO. And they see it as their role to lead the organization, deacon work. But when it comes to the ministry, the prayer, and looking after the people, they say, well, I'm not qualified. I'm not trained for that. So I'm going to outsource that to professionals, to others. And when that happens, no one in the church is doing elder work anymore. So we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to go down that road. And so looking at that early church, we saw that the church is to be led by elders. So we're not part of a larger denomination. We're not Presbyterian. We don't have a membership per se. And so we're not congregational led. We are, we are led by the elders that God has chosen. That's myself. That's Robin. That's Greg. That's Josh. That's, all, that's what you got. I'm sorry. But that's... <laughs> That's what you got for now, right? Pray for, pray for better elders. And, um, and so that's, that's what we have. And so we don't have any membership in the church because, and here's why, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says you need to be a member of the church. The moment you're in Christ, you're a member of the church. It's done. That's it. And the reason they would have membership is because you're going to have voting. You're going to make decisions as a congregation. But again, now you get into that democracy rules and now you're, you're trusting maybe immature people having the same vote as the mature people. And maybe that immature people can win and they have more of them than the mature people and you'll lead that church down a wrong path. But we didn't want, as elders, we didn't want to do deacon work. We wanted to focus in on the work of prayer and the ministry of the word. And so this was a little bit different. I remember when we were setting up the corporation where we had someone to help us with that and we were kind of explaining the model we were trying to use is like, we want to have a deacon board that's separate from the elder board. And so we've, we created that. We have a, a board of deacons that are looking after the day-to-day -day activities. And so that board consists of, of John. So John, if you want to stand up as I call your name. We got John and we got Sheila and, and we got Jeremy and we've got Sue over here. Who am I missing? Am I missing someone? No, that's the five. And now we've added, we added Dan and we're adding John Bucking over here. Right. Again, I apologize. This is the best we got. I know it's 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 <laughs> underwhelming, but better than the than the elders. Let me tell you. So now, what's interesting is so Jer, he's now he's now on the um, the executive director of the board, and so he doesn't have a vote on the board, but he is part of the board. He's, he is a deacon, and in the same way that all the other deacons are, it's just that because he's paid as the executive director, he's not allowed to vote. That's the, the rules of the, of the government. 
And so basically what those men and women are doing is they're going to handle the money. They're going to make sure that the bills are paid, make sure they're depositing the money, they're communicating with the CRA, the, the government, making sure all the, the paperwork's filed correctly. They're going to issue your tax receipts so that you can save some money. Uh, they're connecting with Heritage as we rent the space here. They're making sure that there's money in the bank to pay all the bills, right? The boring stuff, the administration stuff that hopefully you never worry about because they're worrying about it. Thank you for that, guys. And I often say that to the others. Thank God it's not us doing it, right? Because A, I don't really want to do it, and it'd get messy if we did it, right? So that's the boring part, but they get to do some cool things as well. They have a benevolent fund, and they've been looking after people who are struggling. We get, we get wind of someone who's struggling. Uh, maybe they, they can't pay their rent, or they're off their, they you know, can't find some work because they're hurt, they're injured, or they're just going through a rough patch financially. And so we've got, we got some money set aside that they can bless them with. Some grocery money, some, some gas money, or, or money for, for, for boots, whatever they need to look after them. And it's incredible to see the difference that, that makes. And, and it's simple. We just contact the deacons and they got, got it and they look after it. And that's similar to what we saw in those widows being cared for. It's beautiful. They also got to help make sure that, that people can attend new life events, that money's never an obstacle and making sure that that happens. But they also get to partner with other ministries. So you saw the, the baby bottle drive we got going on right now with the, with the pregnancy center or, or Ray of Hope. We're hoping to be able to partner with them in, the, in their food bank or, or ministries like Crossways Life doing the counseling, being able to partner and support them. There's lots of different organizations that are doing incredible work that we want to partner with. And they're doing that. And they're looking after all that. But then a big part of what they're doing is they're looking after the various teams. And again, they're diaconists, they're servants. They're underneath serving the various teams to look after those teams to make sure that those teams have what they need. And with the teams as well as staff. So some of the staff here right now uh, at the end of this month or going into next month, I will be moving to full time here at the church as, as the pastor here. Uh, right now I've been working two days a week. And so we'll go up to, to five days a week. And my, my mission statement is that act six, four. So I can devote myself to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now some have asked if there'll be better sermons. No, this is, this is it. This is as good as it gets. Uh, the jokes will probably get worse, right? So, so it's not coming any better, but, but I get to now devote myself to you guys rather than splitting my time at Crossways to Life. I get to now focus on you guys. And that's what I'm most excited about. So I'll, I'll still continue off for counseling, but now I'll do it under New Life. But we still have great counselors. We got Ian and we got Peter and we got Sue here. Or not Sue, Sheila over here. Sue's retired. She's useless now, right? So... <laughs> I'm kidding. So um, if, if you want to go to them for counseling, God bless you. It's great. But we'll be able to also minister to you guys here as well. Um, I'm looking forward to connecting with more people that I'll have time that my, I'm not going to be, be as divided as much. But I'm most excited about being able to support the other staff and the other leaders in the church as well. Now, please understand, I'm being paid, not joy. You guys can't afford her. <laughs> right? Uh, what that means is she doesn't have a role as the pastor's wife. There's no such role in the church. Anything she does, and she does, she does because she wants to. She volunteers to do that. But there's no expectations on her as pastor's wife. 
And then we have Robin and, and Robin is, is part-time paid. So he's being paid two days a week. And for the, for the short term, at least that will be the case. And he's got a similar job description as I do prayer and ministry of the word. And so he's meeting with people and he's, he's preaching from time to time and he's looking out for people and, and he's caring for people similar to what I'll be doing. But again, Deanne is not paid because we do not have a pastor's wife job. We have Megan and Megan takes care of the communications. So all the good stuff you see on social media and all the emails and the website and the announcements and the slides, all that stuff that's done by the creative Megan. And it's incredible and it's beautiful. And again, we don't pay Greg because why would we? <laughs> <clears throat> We got Jer, and I said earlier, Jer is the executive director, and so he does a lot of the administrative tasks. So he's serving with the board of deacons, but often he's the one that ends up going to the bank and calling people and sending the emails and so forth. And then we've got Isaac. And, and Isaac is the, is the intern that we've got now for, what, five, six months now, since the beginning of the year, and he's helping out with the youth and the kids, and, and he is doing great work. It really is. When you, when you see him, give him a high five and a hug because we are so blessed to have Isaac. And, and I can't begin to, to tell you how excited I am to see what God's doing both in him and through him as well. So that's sort of the paid staff, but then we've got various teams. And so we got teams like the, the AV team. We like to call them Avengers. Do you get it? Avengers, right? So we have the Avengers. Like we like to call them that because we're different here, right? And that, that team's led by, by, by Mark and led by Adam and myself. And we got a great team of volunteers. And we're always excited to have more people join the team. And we got Brian on, on sound for the first time. And that's kind of cool. And we're all excited about that. We got a music team that leads the, the worship on, through singing that we have here on Sunday mornings. We like to call them Banco short for band council and um, also named after a Colombian bank. That's where it comes from, right? So uh, that's a team that's led by Nikki and Robin and Joy. We got a hosting team, a great team that's led by Janice, Yvonne and Norm. And they're looking after the coffee and making things things set up outside. And uh, we got a, a team of youth that's led by Greg and Megan and Lisa and Barry and Isaac. We got that communications, which is kind of Megan and Robin mainly. We got a, a children's ministry and now nursery coming on board. And that's being led by Danielle, Greg, Isaac, and Anita. And, uh, and I'm excited about that nursery because we see a lot of these babies. And maybe we need to consider if we can starting earlier than just in September. But that means we're going to need volunteers. So we have people. I'm sure we can see about trying to make things happen earlier because we want to look after these kids. And it's so exciting to see what's happening in these kids' lives and, 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 and hearing from them and seeing the excitement they have for Jesus and what they're learning. Beautiful stuff, incredible stuff. And then we have a, an events team that's led by Megan, Sue, and Cheryl. And let me talk to you about that events team a little bit. Because again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach the new covenant, but it's not about just information because just only knowledge puffs up. You can, you can know all about the grace of God. You can know all about the new covenant. You can not only memorize the entire book of Romans, but you could accurately preach the book of Romans. But if it's just knowledge, it's puffed up. It's that clanging symbol. It's, it's meaningless. So I think what James was saying is you believe, but show me your actions. Show me what you're going to do with it. And the actions now, what we do with it is we love others, hence the community. Because you can't love others by yourself. Unless you're really ornery, then it's love by subtraction, I guess. But, but the reality is you need someone else to love. And that's what we have a community of grace for. 
And so the, the hardest thing I've found with leadership, and in this case here with pastoring, is there are certain things I can't control. But I like control. I really do. I was, I was talking to Joy just uh, about this yesterday, or, or maybe the day before, about, about roller coasters. Now, I am an adrenaline junkie. I used to design and race race cars. Like, I, I love that sort of thing. But I don't really like roller coasters because I got no control. I don't even like boats, to be honest with you, because you're on the water. And yeah, you got a little bit of control, but you're moving with the current. Like, I like, I like full control. Give me sticky tires and a fast engine and off I go because I got control. But the reality is I don't have any control. And, and what I've been learning about a community of grace is I can't force it. I can't make it. All I can do is I can create the opportunities and what I think are the conditions to allow it to flourish, to allow it to happen. But it takes all of us to actually make that happen, to make that community of grace happen. And so we were, we were thinking, well, how, how do we do that? How do we create the conditions? Because this is the problem that every church has struggled with. Every church that had to wrestle with, how do we do this? Is it small groups? Is it, is it having uh, programs and then, you know, youth retreats? And like, what do we, is it we do? And, and often what happens is they, they come up with a program for everything. Now, please understand, programs are not bad. Sunday morning is a program, if you think about it. So programs aren't the problem. The problem is when you think the program is the solution. The program is merely the vehicle in which something might happen in. And so what we decided to do, rather than become a program church where you have a staff or a small group of volunteers that are organizing everything and then everyone else shows up and they just participate in as sort of like you went to go watch a play. You're, you're more of a consumer. You're more of just, just sitting there passively receiving. And I see that in so many churches. In fact, many of that's kind of what you've expected because that's how we've grown up. That's how we've been trained to enter into a church. And so what we wanted to do is we're, we realize it's going to take time. We're breaking that mold. And it's always going to be a bit of a fight because as new people come, chances are they're coming in with that passive mindset. What we want to do is we want to be an engaged community. We want to be a community of people who are connected and engaged. And so we thought maybe the best way to do that is to, to run events, different events. It might be a one-time event, might be an event that's run over four weeks or over six months, whoever, whatever it is, but it's not really about the event. The event was just merely the excuse we needed to get together to hang out. So that's how I, I treat being part of the AV team back there. It's just the excuse I needed to hang out with some people and kind of rub shoulders with them and get to know them a little bit. And that's what we're trying to do with these different teams and these different events that we're trying to, to coordinate and, and, and create in order to experience that. Now, hey, Ross, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to get a chair up here now. <laughs> you know, it is biblical to preach until someone falls asleep and falls out the window. <laughs> Just saying, some of you have already accomplished mission one, fallen asleep. Now we just got to get the window going, right? Everyone rushes to the windows right now. <laughs> so we, we want to create these events ministry, this events idea here. And, and so we've got an events team and it's, it's run by Megan, by Sue and by Cheryl. But please understand, it's not their job to run the events. It's your job. They're there to simply help you to be those servants to help support you 
while you do the ministry. And so if you have an idea, oh, this would be a great event. We should do this. We should do that. I've had people come to me. Oh, this would be a wonderful thing. And they're kind of looking to me to go and outdo it because that's how most churches have operated. You present an idea, the staff goes, they like it, they meet together in their staff meeting and they figure out how to do it and off they go. Not here. If you're sitting there going, oh, it'd be great if we had a, had a men's ministry or a women's ministry, or we had this event, we had that event. You know what the response will be? It's a great idea. How do you want to do it? How can we help you pull that off? Because if, if God's put that idea in your heart, maybe it's because he wants you to be a part of it, to be the one to maybe even lead it. And so if you have an idea for an event, please go talk to Megan or, or Sue or to Cheryl. And they're going to figure out who else maybe you can talk to to support that. Maybe they'll say, well, that's a great idea, but we have this event happening on this day. So could we do it another day so more people can participate in that? Uh, and just help you begin to carry that out. If there's something you want to see in terms of a ministry, come talk to one of the elders. And again, our job is to help you maybe be a part of that. Or maybe we can show, well, you know what? There's other person had the same desire. Maybe the two of you need to get together and begin to organize that. Or, or maybe there's a ministry out there that's already running that you want to support and be a partner with as a church. Go talk to one of the, uh, the deacons and they can then begin to kind of share and realize how we can do that. And, and so those are the things that these deacons are doing. That's sort of how we're trying to run this church. Now, one last thing I want to share before we, we, we kind of close is, is going forward, we're actively looking for a building. We, we love being here at Heritage. It's a great space, and, and, and it's been a real blessing. We've, we've been in a number of places and spaces, and I would say this by far has been the best. But it's not permanent. And it's also, we're very limited in here. We're here on, on Tuesday nights with the youth and we're here on Sunday mornings and that's about it. We got to be out of here by 1230. And, and we would love to have a place where we could operate out of, where, where we could run more events, we can do more things, where we could leave things set up so it's a little bit easier on the volunteers. But more importantly, we'd have roots. We'd have roots within a community so that we could reach into that community and have a place for them to go to because this really isn't us here. So we're actively looking for a building. But it doesn't look great out there. It looks bleak. And I'd be tempted to say we are but grasshoppers out there. Kind of like the Jews, the Israelites said about going into Canaan. My hope is, and my, my, what I know is, why God's bigger. And there's a miracle coming. That he's going to provide a building for us. The right building, the building we need. But what I can ask of you is, please pray for us. There's a lot of options out there that some are good and some are bad. Um, but pray that we have discernment, that we have wisdom to know which one to, to, talk, to choose. If you know of a building, please let one of the deacons know and, or one of the elders know. We'd love to, to hear your thoughts and ideas on that. Um, we're going to need to increase our giving because it's not cheap out there. And so as Father leads, give. As Father leads, though, right? You give what's on your heart to give. That's how we operate here. Uh, but most importantly, engage and participate. Because you see, if we don't engage and participate as a church, if we're not acting as a community of, of grace, then there's no need for a building. If all we are is just get together on Sunday mornings and that's it, then we might as well stay here. But that's not my heart. I, I'm sure that's not your heart. You want to see, see more community happen, more connections, more relationships happen. And we believe a, a building will be a part of that. But we don't have to wait for the building. 
So if there's different events, different activities, engage in those right now because they can be done out of your homes. They, maybe they do need a place to rent, but that's where maybe the church can help. And again, talk to the events team and they will be happy to help you figure that stuff out. And finally, if you got questions, ask us. In fact, I would encourage you to over-ask, to over-communicate in your questions because we want to be transparent. That's important. If you got questions about money, go talk to any of the, of the deacons and they will send you to Jer. <laughs> just being honest, right? So just cut out the middleman maybe and go ask Jer and, and he'll be happy to, to answer your questions because we're very big on transparency. Um, if you got questions again about events and so forth, you can go and talk to the events team. If you got questions about ministries, come talk to us as elders. If you have a general question, Ask almost anyone, and maybe they won't have an answer, but maybe they can point you in the direction of the person who does. But over-ask your questions. We, we encourage that and welcome that. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.